It's the Hedonistic Way podcast. It's a way of life. It tastes like freedom. It's the most divine microcosm. Mind blowing. It's a revolution. Heart wide open. Liberated love. It's liberated love. Conscious conversations. Conscious conversations. The exhilarated expansion of self. Sacred sexuality. Whatever you like. All I, All I know is it, is it feels, feels amazing. amazing. It's the most decadent way. It's the most decadent way to live life. Intimate and intuitive conversations with epic humans who are disrupting the status quo and living a life with stereo untypical success. Hello and welcome to the Hedonistic Way at Midday Show. I am Renee Main and I have this beautiful, adventurous medicine woman with me today. She's separating the dark from the deceitful. She's breaking down illusions that stop us from truly living. She sees multiple worlds through the lens of her eyes and her ignorance. And she's shattering beliefs, corruption, incongruence in the world. She's restoring the lineage of white Britain and witches before they were forced into suppression and burnt at the stake. She is here to enlighten us about just how rich the culture is through the English lineage and what we can and how we can lean in and honour our lineage so we don't lean on other cultures and appropriate them. It is such an honour to have the beautiful Patricia Newton on the show today. Welcome. Thanks for asking me. That's a big intro. <laughs> it is, it is. And we had a brief conversation on on Friday, but I, as soon as I stepped off the phone, I just, I was like a mad woman at the keyboard because I knew exactly what wanted to come through to describe you. <laughs> So that's, um, yeah, that's really cool. So what do I want to ask you first? Um, I want to ask you, what is alive in you right here and right now in this moment? There's a lot of things that are alive. I've done a pretty big journey in the last couple of months. Um, I crewed at Glastonbury online track training and I got steeped into the archetypes of that. And so I was kind of, I've got Glastonbury in the background. <laughs> um, I connect with archetypes all the time and I kind of shape shift or merge into them when I'm doing some role some job and just become them and I've just done a completed a shamanic womb journey so prior to that I'd had a blue diamond um, channeling and some follow-up healing and everything has accelerated so much it's almost like the facets of a diamond were missing a couple of pieces and they've now come together and the whole thing is kind of spinning around and throwing off the magic It sounds really powerful um, 
and yet also just like just the severity of the whirlwind of it like so how have you managed to anchor yourself and ground yourself through this ascension um by making sure I check my energy and the things I'm doing and anything that affects me I will take steps to clear things uh, meditate ground do whatever I need to walk on the earth the big thing is walk on the earth and I spent the last eight days in a bicycle passes sacred geometry and then yesterday I printed out some notes of a course I did last year of practical magic and of course that had a bicycle passes and I'd forgotten and I thought oh yeah it's like all roads lead to Rome. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you about that is because the spiral being in Glastonbury and I've seen your altar um, and a picture of it and there's something about Glastonbury and the spiral training being there this year and I've seen your altar and just, it awakened something in me, like there's this hum, there's, it's, it's like a remembrance for me. What is, how is, um, or why is Glastonbury so alive within us? What is the potency behind it? There's a lot of potency from Glastonbury. Mm. I actually did a Reiki Masters course there some years ago. And stayed in the old Abbey, and you've got Chalice World. Glastonbury is actually the heart chakra of the world. Mm. We've got chakras, but they're actually the earth has chakras, and that is the heart of Glastonbury. And of course, Avalon was uh, myth and legend, would be where Arthur and Guinevere lived. The, the tour, they believe, is the castle remains, and the flatland around was sick. And there was many caves and Tintagel, Cornwall, it, the Celts, it's all connected. It's, it's huge heritage sites. Mm. When you go there, you will just feel the magic, the myth, the depth of, of connection to the old ways. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about, about that. And I'm just going to, yeah, so let's just go there now. Um, you know, we were talking about, and one of the reasons why I reached out to you is, and I didn't even know where you were from, uh, <laughs> but there was just something in me that I thought, ah, oh, like you will know. Um, I feel like that, and I must, I have to give a hat tip off to Paisley Heart as well, is because I've seen a snippet of his podcast that he did, it's called Cultural Conversations and Paisley Hart's been on the show and he's a, he's just a person that I deeply admire and he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful human. Um, but he was talking about cultural appropriation and, and in that little excerpt of, of the video, they were talking about how the white culture you know, can can feel quite empty, and um, and that's why we lean on other indigenous cultures so we can feel that richness. 
Now, obviously, there's a large portion of the world, there's a large portion of most Australians, well, I won't say most, but correct me if I'm wrong, most Australians are from, you know, are from an English Britain background. So I wanted to shed some light because I know that, you know, I know that Britain and the UK have so many cultures that oh, they have not so many cultures. They have a culture that is deeply, it's rich and it's deeply alive and it's deeply honouring and spiritual beyond the colonisation of the perception of how we perceive it, especially around everything that's happening at the moment. Um, you know, I think we can be so closely tied to white privilege and there's shame and there's guilt around that. And, um, and we're wanting to come forward and lead as allies. Um, so how can we lean on our own culture and what, so tell us about the lineage of the, the richness beyond, uh, before um, the colonisation. Mm. Well, of course, the British Isles um, was conquered by many, by many um, different people from all over Europe. You had um, the Romans, the Vikings, Normans, and Saxons, of course, are from Germany. So you've got Anglo-Saxons, which, of course, would be like German origin. But when you look at ancient tribes, the Celts, the Celts go back thousands of years, and they started off all over Europe, yeah. and Spain came to England. So you've got also, uh, you've got England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. So when you look back in history, there were lots of, the Romans came and slaughtered a lot of tribal, the Druids, which were very steeped in, um, belonging to the earth, everything that they did, Druids, uh, it means knowledge immersion, and they've been aligned actually to Vedic culture, and a lot of the things in the Druids, which people probably wouldn't realise, they parallels with parallels with Hindu, so you've got lots of comparisons where when they look back at historians, but the Druids go back thousands of years, and when Christianity came to England, like from from Rome, uh, Augustine, he decided the barbarians had to be like annihilated. There were thousands of Druids were, but when you looked at the Druids, they were very learned. They were Prophets, they, they lived by the land, they lived in harmony um, with animals, plants, and even the, like the Celts, which Jewish is only a small, like if you called it a religion, but the Celts lived in harmony with nature, and they, theirs was to preserve animal and plant, like what we should be doing now. Yeah. And the people really, like, decided because they weren't, you know, of the same culture like the Romans, um, I mean, look at the signs around England, you've got roads. Baths. They were tourized and Scottish, so that's why they built Adrian's Wall to keep them out. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of culture, but if you look at all of them, they have some form of divination. And what's divination? You know, you get books on it, and people would say, "Well, you know, there's so, it, really what it means is to be inspired by God." Yeah. So whatever the gods were to those people, you've got. You could call about Wicca. Wicca means wise woman. You've got the Romans, and they had their gods. Um, they've got um, Greeks, which was Pan, 
and then the Vikings, they believed more in prophecy and having seeress um, predict the future and looking for signs and the, like the heavens. And, you know, if they got bad signs, they believed they were going to lose the battle and things like that. So everyone's had the same form of looking for signs, symbols, um, things from nature to give you guidance. Um, but when you look at that, you think, well, you know, that held close a lot of Celts. When religion started coming into it with Christianity, Christianity came to convert people. So they took things, the, like the chalice, the altar, um, Athamis, they would use the same tools to get them into the Christian church. So they thought they weren't losing anything. But in a way, they're kind of being hoodwinked. But for a long time, the like they used the, the, they blessed the tools, the crops, they blessed the seeds, they looked at the moon for signs of the right time to plant. But all those things were incorporated to get people into that religion and that belief. And then the big thing is when you got the onset of the church combining forces with medicine, early doctors, who did horrific things to people, bored holes in the skull for a headache to let the demons out, leeches, bloodletting, all of that, but it became a patriarchal society. And the wise women that, that in the villages grew herbs to help people going, getting ready for childbirth and things like that, they were then demonised and they created superstition around people that didn't comply. A bit like COVID now. <laughs> if you don't fall into line, you're going to get excluded from the masses and then you, there'll be some form of, if you like, annihilation where they, they decided that women, lunatics, criminals, savages, anybody that didn't fit the realm of falling into the box would be... Um, really victimised and created, turn people against you. And it's quite easy. You can feel division now with different beliefs in what's happening about health, where some people believe, you know, if you don't wear a mask and you don't let yourself in the house and you go out, you're going to harm me. So it's, that's coming down the line. But the big thing for people, why did they give up the heritage and the, the strong cultures? Fear, accusation punishment, death, quite easy. You know, if you, you might have, you know, a lamb was born and it didn't breathe. You might clear the membranes and blow into the lamb's mouth. Wow, she's a witch. She's done mouth to mouth and brought that lamb back. They would have been burned at stake. And that was, look, there were more women killed across Europe in the Witchfinder general days, Matthew Hopkins, went right across Europe. I reckon more than 9 million, mostly women, were killed in the witchfinder general hands. Happy to say, he was tried for witchcraft and he got the same ending, and I thought, <laughs> yeah. Isn't it ironic? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, before this, before this witch hunt, before this degradation, in terms of ritual, what would have a ritual looked like? You know, you've mentioned the altar and the chalice. What, what would, how would we honour, how would we, um, let's say, 
evoke and invoke that that the sacredness. What did we do? Well, symbols, sacred symbols, sacred geometry. So when you look at things like the pentagram, it's the elements. You've got five elements, fire, earth, water, ether. And when you look at the elements, they're attached to a different meaning each element. So fire can be very cleansing. Water is linked to emotion. It's like their kidneys and it's like free flowing and being in the flow. Um, earth, of course, is like being grounded. And it's like we put things in the earth and the earth gives back. So if you plant things, but also it gives back in the form of crystals because crystals are formed in the earth. So if you were going to honour and like you were going to do a ritual and you use sacred geometry and then you honour, like if you call in an archetype, an archetype is in that collective field. An archetype is an energy. Energy never dies. It just changes form. Yeah. So if you wanted, like in the um, shamanic womb journey, calling in Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, whoever you desire to to feel to communicate with because basically what people did was in divination it was a way of knowing the world and you were speaking to the soul or the spirit so you could speak to the spirit of plants or animals you know if people had a totem an animal that they believed was going to help them get through something you know i mean there's, a, there's an old saying um when the ravens leave the power of the, the tower of london the, the monocle will fall and so people would be very afraid if they've been there for hundreds and hundreds of years if suddenly something wipes them out completely and they and in the old days that would be seen as a bad omen wouldn't it yeah yeah so you mentioned something before about you know like the archetypes and how you become a chameleon, you know, mm. with that, is I wanted to ask you, because there's like, there's a shadow side to that, especially in spirituality, you know, mm. and I think, you know, even if you um, you run a spiritual business, you know, we, we hear a lot about, you know, people become chameleons and, you know, they merge themselves into... Um, you know, to other people, they morph themselves, you know, what am I trying to say? You know, they're just essentially regurgitating someone else's message and someone else's truth. So how do you, when you say, you know, you become a chameleon to that archetype, how do you drop in to that soul self and that archetype within you so it's authentic to you and you're not becoming a parrot or a chameleon to someone else's energy well it's like to thine own self be true if you know if you have actually worked out we've all got many archetypes within us we've got like the innocent adventure the little child and that's the playful aspect of you that's the bit that will go off on an adventure and not see danger and be very naive and then you know, <laughs> that's quite strong in me. It takes me halfway around the world. But then, then you get like the sovereignty of the queen, where you have to, um, you know, be in your power with the sovereign. Sort of, if you were looking over uh, a king, a queendom, a kingdom, whatever you want to call it, you would be looking after your subjects and making they all get nurtured, fed, protected when the enemy came to attack. 
it's like Pingatha, you would be like I was converting a studio an old tin shed to a studio three years ago and I've got this beautiful space. I knew I had to be the night on a mission. Don't stop till you've got the holy grail. Even if I was on my knees and it got really hard coordinating traders and things didn't go according to plan, I thought, Oh my god, it's never gonna get friggin' finished this, it's gonna be on forever. I'm I'm impatient in the back followers. I want it done yesterday, not tomorrow. <laughs> so for me it was like, hurry up, let's get this done. Well, I would come back to within, I would ground myself, I would look at the reason, why did I want it, what was my goal, what was it going to make my heart, how was it going to make my heart sing by having that creation and being in the flow, and it was about getting yourself back in the flow state, regrouping, nurturing yourself, having a break for a day trip, then coming back to the night on a mission. Don't stop till we've got the Holy Grail, till the Holy Grail was a sacred space so I could run workshops and cultivate it into be that when people walk in they feel it they just drop in and say oh my god this place is like is like sanctuary it's it's got amazing energy but when i was actually in the midst of it one minute i'd have to be you know almost like commanding all the all the men who were working and had to coordinate it which really was like a leadership role so Knowing that I've, I've run hospitals, I've done every job in a hospital, I've been a bedside nurse and I've been an educator, I've been took students. So I can easily merge into, I know the roles and the traits really well and if I was going into the shadow and it wasn't serving me, you've got to integrate. The shadow is your friend. You don't knock it on the head. You pull it into you and you merge and get unbalanced. Absolutely. And that's... I. I absolutely agree and I was saying to my partner, um, you know, this morning is, you know, as we're going into our second wave and we're going into isolation here in Melbourne, you know, I was saying to my partner, I'm completely unafraid, like I'm no stranger to adversity and I really feel comfortable in the dark Um, and it's giving us an opportunity to just dive deeper and face ourselves and meet ourselves and I honestly believe for me the hum underneath all of this is just inviting us to go within to dive within to dive that little bit deeper and find ourselves and face ourselves and all of those incongruencies um you know that that we're meeting um and finding, you know, whether it's the collapse of the patriarchy, whether it's, you know, whatever conspiracy theory, you know, mask to not mask, you know, all of that. I said crap. <laughs> you know, so, but that, for me, the hum underneath it, that the alluring hum and underneath, um, and that's what I'm really trying to, to honour in that. Um, and that's, I think, you know, when you're speaking of that, like that's what, that's what comes alive in me is, um, is honouring that, that natural flow and that natural evolution and that natural cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so I want to... Um, I want to ask you, for the white spiritualists, the white leaders that, 
you know, uh, a change in the way or paving the way and doing all of these things and are unintentionally leaning on cultural appropriation where they're misusing and, and disrespecting. It's not mm-hmm. in their lineage to use certain yes. things, tools, whatever it is. What can these white leaders lean on in order to, you know, bring to life their own lineage? Well, in a way, they need to look up at the lineage and find out a deeper understanding of how they understood the world, their ancestors. And it's not not necessarily, like you said, walking with the ancestors. I actually feel the ancestors have got your back. When you say the universe has got your back, actually say, I believe it's your ancestors. I I can see spirit. Um, Before I did, uh, I think it was before I did the spiral pulling, we'd had a full moon and I, I did a ritual and I called in Arthur Guinevere, the lady of the lake, all, all the archetypes. I wanted to be steeped in that energy and really feel into it and like feel like I was with those characters and it came to life. But I also called in my ancestors and, and a day or so later I was like, I saw all my granddad, grandmother, mum, dad, going back eons and it was like really interesting because it was it was like, wow, you feel held held by that strength of who you are, what's your heritage, where have you come from. My mum and dad worked in the cotton mill. I, my mum used to say, put you in that cotton mill, you've got to go bring money. And I go, oh no, 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 not the <laughs> not the torture. <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor, but it wasn't in a realm of thought that you could jump classes because wealthy people, would, unless you won a scholarship and all this carry on. But it was very interesting. It was like that mill girl, that cotton mill girl, had true grit and strength and tenacity. And so she's in me. And it, I learned to embrace her. At one point, I used to think, oh, my God, I'm ashamed of my roots. I thought, no, how can you be ashamed of your roots? That's the strength of who you are. So when you take aspects of your lineage and then you in, integrate them into you, there's so much gold there. There's so much power. I mean, they had hard times. We don't really know the meaning of hard times. We think we do. Industrial Revolution, that's the era that I suppose it changed when my parents went to a cotton mill and everything became mechanised. And I was looking the other day, we're in our fourth Industrial Revolution at the moment. And like you've you've gone from like mechanisation work, the tall puddle martyrs smashed the machinery. They got sent to Australia. and the visionaries and then but then it getting lost in the line of and in the mechanics of it and that misalignment I feel like that's alive so I want to ask you what does that look like and what does this next wave look like how do we you know do we need to dismantle the mechanics or the machine or whatever it is or is it an integration that needs to happen what is your opinion on that well, I think there's a middle road that you have to find the middle road. You're not going to 
annihilate and get rid of like everyone's now doing everything online like we are yeah is there going to be a need for like offices in the city with expensive real estate where companies have to rent and pay for this i don't think i don't think that's going to continue yeah i'm not saying it will end overnight but little subtle changes and people will feel very threatened because they've done what they've done forever you leave school you do some training you go to uni if you're fortunate or you want to do it that way you get a job yeah. but at the end of it when things look i, I think when I, I left school everybody had a job even what that the c classes who, who were you know not well educated and not really very bright because they might not have opportunity yeah. yeah that has not happened in the last god knows how many years there's a lot of people have never had work from leaving school and they've kind of stayed at home and made a life that way but never actually gone to work and is that because sometimes i don't know i don't want to say the wrong thing here but you need help financially but if the help is too is better than going out to work for a lower level job there's no real there's no there's no goal there's nothing to seek to achieve so you have to be careful i think that in propping things up that you don't take away a drive and that drive is for me i always go back to will that make my heart sing if i do that do i really want to do that and if i don't want to do it i know i'm in a position where i don't have to do it but at the end of the day i think there has to be incentives maybe they need to create more financial help to create more entrepreneurial things not just to get you to do the old line of training to be a such a thing what do you want to be when i leave school i think that line is wrong and way out of date oh absolutely i even you know i would even you know kind of think or question whether it has ever been in date you know <laughs> no, i mean that doesn't make sense but you know what i mean like it's <laughs> it was like it's funny i watched a podcast the other week and it resonated and this is where archetypes came into it as children so i was watching this woman um and she was saying if you went to a class of five-year-olds what do you want to be when you grow up like they'd all say a pilot or whatever but then if she said who's the strongest child in the class everyone would grand up yeah. by the time they've got to like six seven and eight you might get one person who's got a strong self-belief and in that self-belief, by then, they've already been put in um, a kind of box. Yeah. So your kid would say, he's the smartest one in the class. That one over there is the bully. He's the class clown. She just doesn't talk and cries if people speak to her. So you've already, you've already pinpointed the archetypes of who that person displaced to the group, to their peers. And then if that person, that's like, if we were said, you're a such thing or are you you're always you're always over the top and you're too sensitive like it's it's um, a bad thing yeah. sensitivity can be a blessing or a curse it's it's a light and a dark absolutely but if the person is labeled and then they live in the constraints of that label and what they believe you can do in that archetype a bully can only get things by taking it or bashing people you yeah. know yeah. <laughs> it's to me, it would be a beautiful thing if we discouraged 
and and we led children in a different way so that you don't feel pigeonholed yeah absolutely i agree because i think you know a lot of a lot of what we discuss in you know in the hedonistic way is you know who are we without all the labels and without being a byproduct of our life experience who are we then you know it's it's totally different you know and um and those labels are you know I was having a conversation with my girls last week or the week before you know about the things that you might say to people like don't be ignorant to think that you're not having that's not going to have a ripple effect and impact on their life because it does you know and um and labels is huge like I was always pigeonholed into you know like I was always seen as you know a soup and as highly emotional and highly sensitive you know and so a lot of it is really for me about going okay you know often those things that people dub as a weakness I honestly believe is our biggest strength I agree totally yeah so how how do we honor that how have you managed to ditch all the labels, to encompass your your lineage and your ancestors, and how have you managed to to clear that lineage and to be this medicine woman that sits before me now? Well, I have to admit it's taken me a long time, mm-hmm. and I could obviously. When you look at a hero's journey, yeah. and my biggest hero's journey was emigrating to Australia. Yeah. And that's, you go through that where you're not on a, on a mission, on an adventure, then you go into that dark night of the soul and all that breaks so you think, oh my God, what the hell have I done? You know what, this is really, like when I, I can remember when I sat on the plane in Manchester Airport, I suddenly thought all my relatives had died, my mum, you know, everybody dear to me had gone. And I, and I started to feel this overwhelming grief. The night on the mission and the, the innocent kid had got me there. And I thought, so what have I done now? <laughs> you know? And so I met with millions of different challenges. All, you know, you had a beautiful established job and a house and all this carry on. Obviously, that were trappings and trimmings that you'd required. Yeah. And you have to start again. Literally, it was like that book. I remember reading about the bride stripped there. There was nothing. You were stripped down to... Who the hell are you? Yeah. What can you do? What are you yeah. known for? You're known for nothing. You come into an unknown world, an unknown land. And I thought it was England with sunshine, but it wasn't. So the biggest journey for me is I've done my most work. Yeah. I started in the early 90s learning things. Well, trauma, stress, I learned Reiki, and I just kept going, going and going and going, acquiring different things. Yeah. Also, I had a lot more medical knowledge when I went back into nursing, which was a shock. I had a kind of community role, like a um, consultancy role, and I ended up back at the bedside. Yeah. And it was hard going, hard yakka. But yeah. I also had lots of strong research knowledge in my head. I've got this thing where I remember facts and figures from 20-odd years ago, and, you know, and I'd speak out, and it was I was told to be quiet and not give opinions. And I thought, yeah. what do you mean? What do you mean? We're meant to be the best we can be and have the most current knowledge. It should be evidence-based, research-based, all of that. And it was, you stood out because I vocalised too much. But it made me who I am today. And 
first thought of the journey was I've always been uh, an intrepid truth seeker that will stop at no depths until I uncover something. And that's a blessing and a curse. It definitely is both. But in the end, it, it prevails. It's like, if you call it lightness or bringing dark stuff that could be harmful to others out of the shadow and showing things in the true light, like that's not as it seems and people are, People don't really know it. I was asked to do things at high level, managing a place that were detrimental for staff or patients. Just sick money. I'd be like, never, no, fucking never. <laughs> we'll never give you this job permanently. You know what I mean? And it, it was said to me by several people, if you played the game, you'd be running the hospital. I said, I'm not into game playing. I'm into being real. <laughs> and that's you. I say that all the time, you know, it's like, no, I'm really not interested in playing the game. Like, I'm really not interested into the political who's got the biggest dick contest. I'd much prefer to just speak my truth and show up, you know. So I'm walking the very same line as you with that one. But why do people, why are people so quick to label it? Let's say to view things as bad. Let's ask that. Why are so many people so quick to want to label things? Why are so many people so quick to deem things as good or bad? Why? What is that attachment? Well, I I feel they're trying to fully understand every facet of you. And if they can look at last year, I did some work on someone. It was a crazy, it was crazy, like helping this person leave a really dangerous place where she was in her life. Yeah. In a town that's been, that's been, I can't say too much because it would be identified. Yeah. But she got herself into a place and wanted to somehow extract herself. Yeah. And I, I've done this for several people. I've helped people leave bad relationships. I think God, I don't want all these people knocking on the door and looking for them. But yeah. times I've kind of had been close, been very close. And it's like when, when you. It's like people like to have you in categories, black and white. Now, this woman who I helped and she left the state and ended up safe and, and is blossoming again now, she said to me, do you know what a multi-potential art is? I went, no, I've never heard of one of them. She said, well, you were one. I went, what the hell? And I watched a TED Talk on it. And it's very interesting. And it's where you become a master at not one thing. Like if you said to a kid, what are you going to be when I grow up? Yeah, I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to be a fireman. That's what the boys would say. Yeah. And and you would say, I don't really know what I'm going to be because you want to be everything. It's almost like the cosmos inside you where you'll master one thing. So like I've done a lot of high-level medical stuff. I've done research. I've done, I could see how people created their illness. And then I kept going and going and going and learning new things. And they've all rolled into one, if you like, melting pot, the witch's cauldron. Yeah. And if someone said to me, can I have a health consult and, and about such a thing? I went, yeah, but what happened two years before? What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, it will t- make you two years if you lock in into your energetic system and start to block energy meridians and organ dysfunction. It will take about two to three years. Yeah. What do you mean? And they don't get it. I said, because you've unconsciously created your illness and where you're at in life now. Yeah. By events and the way you've responded to them, um, and that really, to undo that illness, you've got to get all that trapped energy out of your body and collapse the fact that 
things have been slowing down. Matter, you energetic, goes through your body at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, and then starts to slow down organs, function, meridians, chakras, and you're like a car running on one cylinder rather than a V12 V-type firing at this ginormous energetic power. And when you clear things in people and they suddenly get this back, they go, oh my God, I feel light. Yeah. Like I'm going to float away like a balloon if you don't hold me down. I said, you've been holding that for so long that it's cost you massive energy to keep it pushed down. And yet once they let it, I mean, we often let it out wrongly. Somebody presses the button on the a trigger and yeah. somebody pops for that. <laughs> like I'm in anger and they go, I only question anyway. <laughs> It's it's more to do with they don't realise that by not expressing yourself in a healthy manner, you are holding back and you're pushing down, pushing down, pushing down, and you're living like the tip of an iceberg, but you're not li- living a full a full being. The being, who are you? You're a fraction of your being. And you do things to belong, to not get not get punished or are not seen in a bad light by people. Well, if I do that, they'll judge me, fear of judgment. And if I do that, I'm never going to be happy. Well, you're never going to be happy by not living who you truly are. That's right. How can how can people begin if someone's watching this to go and going? Um, that is me. That's me. Like I'm a li- I'm at I'm at the peak of the iceberg. And that's funny because that's the second time that reference has come up today as well. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> How can people begin to to unlock this part of themselves that they've shunned away for so long? What can people start to do for that self-inquiry? Number one, they have to be desirous of change. If somebody comes and they want to collapse patterns, emotions, the way they've run the world and they suddenly wake up and they think, God, I don't like who I've become. Then that's the starting point, and then inquiry will lead you. You know, it depends on how you want to do it. Because I, I, I collapse trapped energy and kind of give them the life that they're able to have by raising the frequencies. Everything I do is vibrational medicine, yeah. by getting them to see things and speak differently. The, the thing they don't realize is when you speak, abracadabra means as I speak, I create. Ibra, when you speak and you talk about yourself negatively or call yourself names or something, you can't do that. Wish I could do that. People say, well, you can't. No, you can't. No, because I'm hopeless, useless or whatever. Yeah. That has a vibration which goes straight to the brain. The neuropeptides in a nanosecond, your brain sifts your hard drive yeah. and opens the folder where you've got the worst ever and all that, all that Pandora's yeah. box is let yeah. loose. And we'll spiral you down to a level of apathy and hopelessness. So when people talk constantly, I think, don't do that. Instead of saying, I can't do it, you say, well, it's going to be challenging, but by God, I'm going to do it. That's different. And your brain goes, oh, you really want to achieve and be a different person. I'll create different neuropeptides, the protein molecules that affect every cell in your body. And it's purely when you speak or a thought, that's the vibration. It's measurable. Everything's frequency. If you're aware of what you're saying, that it's bad for you, and start to reframe that and change that, you will start to get more of the life that you believe you've, you've 
deserve. But a lot of it's got to come from your thoughts and your words, like that Jodie Spencer changing the habit of being you. Little things. But identifying what you don't like and who would you like to be? Let's create the archetype in that in you for that. Let's have a little bit of Oprah Winfrey, a bit of Richard Branson, a bit of the Dalai Lama, all the composite. Who are you really? What traits do you admire that you feel you could aspire to? Absolutely. And that's such a... And you know, like, it, that book is really easy. Like, that's such a really easy, accessible right now entry point. Absolutely. You know, right there. And, um, you know, and that alone is, um, is can be such a powerful change and a powerful start um, to that evolution. What do you see as... As you know, you're looking into your cauldron and you're seeing the what's next of this next wave of spirituality and consciousness coming through. What is happening as a you know for us in that cauldron? What do you see unfolding? What do you see brewing in there? Well, I I see the collective the collective collective consciousness. Yeah. I think there's a lot of unravelling of illusions and collapse of illusions going to happen. People have been challenged to the very core of the being of who they think they are, who they, who they believe they can be, like, you know. And it's like everything they thought that was stable is, like, disappearing. It's almost like the Titanic's gone down. You jump on a little piece of blossom and think, I'm going to be safe on here. And it's that Titanic, it's too small, and you think, oh, fuck. Oh, there's a bigger one. I'll jump on that. No. Um, so you get something called muddled instability where you think, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck in this mess. The world around me is collapsing. Nothing's stable. Nothing is I thought it was. I don't feel safe. And you go into this. I've got to sit in the mess. Oh, you're going to. Right. What can I do about it? What am I going to take? And what steps can I do to make some change? What steps? What small things can I do to get me out of this victim mentality? That's that's not be part of the collective of what's sweeping the world. Is to see that you have got powers within you. You might not be able to change the whole freaking world, but you have got powers not to be like sheep and to step in your power and start to do minute changes which will be like the the snowball that gathers force and volume and mass and the matter. It's like, oh my God, I've got a tribe. There's more people like me who think like me. Why don't I hang out with them and let's pool our knowledge and our support of each other? Find your tribe. Um, yeah, and I think and that just that word tribe brings me back to to you know the reason why I wanted to to chat to you, um, you know, and talk about talk about that there's a question in there um i'm just having a feel around because i'm feeling like it's a little bit numb in there so what is it in there why that comes through um i will ask you what is turning you on right now what what was that what is turning you on right now excitement of integrating the kind of 
I've had massive change in the last two months. I think I've gone a thousand years. <laughs> and things are happening before my very eyes. I'm like, not just feeling it, but it's like a lot of a lot of clarity. Like I'm, I, I am a seer. I, I, I didn't I didn't own that, but I am. I've seen things. I read energy ahead of time. But it's like I can see outcomes. I'll be doing something and get a download and think, oh my god, such and such things going to happen. And I'm like, no. And next next day it happens. I think, shit, this is big. <laughs> and, and it's like honouring it, owning it, honouring it in every every fibre in every cell of my body. To be honest, it's a gift. And I I've hid a lot of stuff for years. Where when I was doing high level management roles, I thought, oh my god, I can't be seen in this. Like I would know, I would know like, oh, there's a helicopter coming in tonight with heart lungs. I'm going to have to call in all the time. Half an hour later, I get the call and I think, and I'll be thinking, oh, the, the ground's shaking under me. Oh, it's all right, it's the lift shaft. And I think, no, it's not the frigging lift shaft. I'm shaking when I go home. You know, I think, what the hell? It's like, it's like you're being awakened. So everybody's can either choose to be awake or ignore what's going on and just stay and hope everything that stays the same and, and hide from it and oh, go out and meet the damn thing and embrace it. And that's where I'm at. I'm, my excitement, I feel sometimes, look, Queen Bordesia, she fought the Romans when she was like 17. They killed her husband and they raped her, her daughters and this kind of thing. And she she failed, but she killed seventy to 80,000 Romans. Wow. She had that belief that no matter what, we're going to keep going, we're going to do it. And, you know, the second time when England was invaded, it didn't succeed. And then mm. they went back to Rome. But the Vikings were still coming. But throughout history, people had visions. Like you had King Alfred that wanted to create a united kingdom rather than all different kingdoms fighting. So out of this turmoil, out of this unrest, out of the collapse of everything you know, I do think we're going to come out of it eventually with a better outcome. Mm. And I, I don't... I don't believe it's meant to be. You will not get change without perturbation. It's like shaking a bottle of champagne. Poof, it'll go everywhere. And that's yeah. what's happening, isn't it? No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I just had this thought, and I'm really curious about it because you know we've spoken about you know Rome a few times. It's come up, and I was thinking about you know the saying all all roads lead back to Rome. Why is it, and this is a general, huge generalisation, I just want to pre-frame that is I feel like, you know, leading back into history and in the past throughout our ancestors and looking at that lineage, I feel like there's a lot of shame that has come through and separation, the illusion of separation, in the in the white British lineage mm. and a lot of that culture that has been lost, why is there shame in the English lineage that's filtered through to today? Why is why are we not seeing that in Rome and in the Italian lineage? Um well I've never, I've never, not lived amongst them, so it's a bit of a hard question. But what I do think is that I, what I've noticed when I came to Australia is that a lot of cultures, like the Italians and Greeks, will form their own little tribes. 
Yeah. The English tend to filter out and just not do that. I mean, I'm not talking about like an English club or an Irish club now. I'm talking yeah. about they form a strong community. Yeah. And they probably bring their heritage and their culture with them. Like you would have got a lot of Italians that, that were brilliant at wine growing. So they would start to do what they did in the homeland. Yeah. Whereas I... I don't think that's ever happened in that with the English emigrants. Yeah. Um, you will get Scottish clubs and they'll kind of keep, you know, the heritage of the, the clan and, and yes. the backpacks and things like that. Yeah. But I think the Brits don't really have any. They, they've never no. done it. They just dispersed, didn't they? Just Absolutely. And it's, it's almost like you're starting a new life, but you've wiped your history clean. And it's like, for me, I've been delving more and more and more into it. When you asked me to do this, I thought, I mean, I've been steeped in things and I felt, I felt, look, I even feel at times I'm, I was like Queen Bordesley with a long red hair, blue paint, green round, with a sword in a shield. <laughs> when I did the shamanic wounds, I thought I was in my masculine. I was in my warrior queen. Yeah. And masculine had kind of arrested in growth. And now I've, he's grown up and I've, embraced him and took him into me but it's like there is a place for the warrior queen but not all the time absolutely and that's exactly right there's a place for all things right yeah um i just realized like i just had the little realization that you know thinking about when we first like let's say the settlers or you know the people who first entered into and and that english culture did just disperse is because just thinking about that lineage is it was seen very much like a new beginning, like a clean slate, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So energetically what that did was just essentially whitewash out the the richness and the culture and it yeah. not just not just the let's say the the shadow of everything that they were running or trying to run away from, but literally all their culture and all their richness as well. Yeah. The other the other thing, if you think how much how many people came from convicts, they were starving in London. Yeah. You stole a loaf of bread, you got transported or yeah. gallows or whatever. So yeah. there's a lot of shame attached to yeah. in survival. Yeah. When you're in survival, you can either. Tr- fight or flight, run for your life, or freeze like a, a deer in the headlights. Yeah. And when you've got caught doing something and the shame involved, like shame and guilt, and the church was heavy, like you were evil, you've stolen off someone, it's like you're made to feel so unworthy that you don't you don't belong to, to be on the planet. So if people were convicted and sent here, and they came with that shame and they've left, you know, they might have left family behind because it was one person that got transported. Yeah. Then you'd have to do an awful lot. If, you, if you're low on the map of consciousness and you're living yeah. in apathy and shame, how did they rise above that? And what's, how can you be proud to bring heritage with you? You've been white like you were no one. Yeah, that's right. So how, how can we restore that lineage and that richness now someone has got to if they've got to to start looking into i mean people do do the family tree and then they start to feel excited about you know like um 
what's that program on TV? Who do you think you are? Mm. It's like maybe they need to do a mini journey of their own mm. and start to, to look at, you know, if, if you had an uncle and everybody looked up to him and they said, he was the black sheep of the family, but he made good. He, he started his own business and we were working class and he broke, he broke the kind of web of being stuck in his class. So it can, again, he might set himself apart, but you've got vows in each chakra and you're very tribal. And if you do that, is the shame involved in doing better than your parents? If you break the mould and you do better and they were working class and they worked in the cotton mill till the day they retired, and it's like, oh, you know, who do they think they are? I'll bring them down a peg or two. Yeah, yeah. And that's, again, it's, it's very huge and it goes back to... The Australian, the Australian mentality as well is, you know, the tall poppy syndrome. Absolutely, absolutely. It it stems back to that, doesn't it? But it's there's a saying, know your place, and so you were working class, middle class, upper class. It's like don't step out of them realms because you're going to get yourself in trouble. And know your place, stick to the class you know, and you'll be, you'll survive. You know, it's just, it makes sense and it's something that I haven't really pondered before yet. I think it's coming up now is because it's just, as you said before, it's it's the champagne bottle that has been shaken and what's coming out is all of this stagnant energy that has been trapped for generations and it's just gone. That is woo-wee. <laughs> <laughs> there can be no change without shaking the champagne bottle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. That feels like there's like I feel like people watching this. There's so much for them to for them to ponder. So I'm just kind of feeling into that because I feel like. That, like we've popped the champagne bottle and I feel like we've kind of dispersed that energy again a little bit. So just to be able to kind of bring it all together as we wrap up is so, you know, you suggested looking into their family tree, tracing mm. that and beginning that exploration and also, you know, you mentioned connect with your ancestors, you know, so... In meditation, you know, and think and invite them. It set that intention, and yeah. invite them in, um, and you know, and delve into. Okay, like where are you in survival mode? Where is the shame sitting within you? Is there anything else that you would invite people to do? To yeah, just I'm I'm doing this with my hands, like I'm playing with clay and. Well, I don't even know what I'm doing there. <laughs> <laughs> you read it. Look, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like you're doing a spell, yeah. bending and weaving energy yeah. to get a different outcome. Yeah. You're playing with energy. Yeah, and that, and bending and weaving to create a new outcome. Mm. Yeah, how can people bend and weave 
to create that new outcome? Well, they have to find what's aligned to them. It's like otherwise you are mimicking and copying someone, but you're not being aligned. Get talking to your inner person in you. What does your heart want? Your heart will guide you. If you drill with your head, fuck you up. Yeah. And if you move from your head into your heart and you get guided with the heart being in resonance, that will lead you to your joy and your passion and your purpose. But you've got to get your mind out of the way. Because your mind will just run you around in circles and mess you up. It's You've got to be in alignment. The two have got to be um, aligned, haven't they? because it's like a tuning fork and another tuning fork or an orchestra playing and it's a horrible din but if they become in resonance it's a beautiful harmony mm. and if you do that it's like you want to be harmonious in your life you've got to get, get yourself aligned and find out what gonna, what's truly in you that wants to come out and what has been holding you back and if you were to come out what do you need to get rid of or give up or set free to let you be that new person you know what do you need to that be do have model what if you want to be what align to who you you true what do you have to do and what will it give you is what you have mm. you can measure that outcome by looking around what's changed in your world your life you might lose a few friends but you might have gained a tribe yeah exactly absolutely thank you so much for coming on the show and just breathing life into this um it's been such it's been such a beautiful pondering and revelation and you know just that reframe you know creates reform and Mm -hmm. um and i feel like we've just breathed some life into this area that not many people speak about and i think it's really important that that you know we 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 reclaim that ownership of mm. our heritage and um, yeah and that richness of what it can bring. So thank you for just being all of you and um, and speaking so openly about this um, and just trusting that you know whatever was gonna unfold was gonna unfold because it. Kind of feels like a bit of a scary conversation. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and you know, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. Is this is it? But we did it with such grace yeah. and ease. Yeah, and and I think I think we got through a vibrancy of kind of owning your ancestors. And yeah. even if you want to make a little altar and start looking with photographs and honour, start to honour your ancestors. I think that's a start as well. Yeah, I think so. I think that sounds like such a beautiful, beautiful invitation. But, yeah, thank you again for um, just being you and sharing all of you and, um, yeah, just and being that fierce warrior <laughs> as, yeah. well, as well as that adventurous maiden who is you know knows no time in space and gets up to all sorts of mischief (laughs) (laughs) thanks for having me on your show it's been wonderful my pleasure my pleasure thank you everybody for tuning in and i will be back very soon bye everybody thank you
Thank you so much for tuning in to this epic conversation. I'm Renee Main and I am over and out for now. However, we can continue this conversation on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash hedonistic queen or jump onto the website reneemain.com.au and you can explore what your own hedonistic way might look like.